Welcome to episode 137 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with SciComm or trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psychomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm featuring a conversation with Sean Moore, the Financial Wellness Program Manager for the Elizabeth Dole Foundation and founder of Caregivers on the Homefront both roles where she is passionate about advocating for military and veteran caregivers. This episode is airing during Suicide Prevention Month in 2023. Whether you listen to it when it's released or any other time, we want you to be aware that this episode contains discussions about suicide, suicidal ideation, the impact of suicide loss, and other potentially emotionally disturbing subjects. We want to ensure that you are able to engage in this content in a manner that's safe to you, and it cannot be said often enough. If you or someone you care about is experiencing distress and a potential suicidal crisis, reach out for help. Dial 988 and press 1 for the Veteran Crisis Line, or go to VeteranCrisisLine.net to text or chat. You find out more about Sean by checking out her bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Sean, so glad that we're able to connect. We've had some great conversations in the past, both about your own lived experience as a veteran spouse, as a caregiver, as well as a vocal and knowledgeable advocate for caregivers and military and veteran spouses. I find your story as inspiring as it is difficult to listen to sometimes, but I'd like to provide you an opportunity to share a bit about your background and why this is so important to you. Well, first of all, I'm super excited to be here, Dwayne, and I really appreciate you giving me this platform and hearing my voice and amplifying it even even more. I met my husband in 2013 when he was being discharged from the military. And boy, we had a whirlwind of a romance. And I think we hit the ground going 100 miles an hour and nothing flat. But at the same time, I quickly realized that I really didn't know what I was doing and supporting someone that has post-traumatic stress disorder and suicidality and anxiety and depression and all those things. And although I was a police officer at the time, who wants for you to bring your police officer hat home with you? But that was the only way I knew to handle the challenges that were being presented to me from my husband. I didn't know how to help him. And moving further, you know, we got married. But in 2017, when he had his first suicide attempt, it was really, really difficult. What made it difficult was no support for me after the attempt. Yes, we're paying attention to the veteran, making sure that that veteran gets the support that they need, which is so valuable. Yet, when the veteran is taken to the hospital and then the family member goes home and then they walk into a family of kids, what are you supposed to tell them? How 
are you supposed to tell them? How are you supposed to tell the extended family? I can remember calling my mother-in-law. They had their son up on a pedestal after 23 years in the army, seven combat tours to Afghanistan. Why wouldn't you? So it was really difficult to, to really navigate those unseen challenges, really, that our society doesn't see behind a suicide attempt. We oftentimes see what happens to families after a suicide, but we don't end suicide attempts. And I think that's where I have landed my, my big mouth at on making sure that our employers, our people that sit by us at church, our colleagues, our family members, our neighbors understand what goes on after a suicide attempt and knowing that's trauma, not only added to the veteran, but it is now trauma for that family member, that spouse, that mom, that dad, those kids in the household. How do we best support them? You know, that I'm really glad that you brought that up because of the many things that I've learned from you, that is probably one of the first and probably the most important lessons that I learned. When you and I first connected five years ago, probably, um, and I heard your story, it had never dawned on me. We support veterans if, as you mentioned, if there is a suicide attempt, we get them the care that they need, hopefully, right? We get them to the hospital and there's that support. If tragically a veteran dies by suicide, then there's support for the spouses, like Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. But you found yourself in a situation where you didn't have support. I think you, you told me that nobody from your workplace called you for six months. You were afraid to leave the house because you weren't certain. As you were talking about, that is a significant gap. And we know that we have more suicide attempts than suicide deaths. And so there is a significant number of military and veteran spouses out there that simply don't know how to deal with this problem. And there's not a whole lot of support for them like you were talking about. No, not at all. And you know, when I got in this space and really started sharing my story, and then I had to leave the police department just because being a police officer and a caregiver for a veteran is not conducive. And shifting what I was doing career-wise, but when I started listening to other family members tell their stories, and hear from them that they've not only gone through one suicide attempt, there are multiple. They would tell me these, these stories they had never told anyone before. Mm -hmm. How do you continually stuff and stuff and stuff the feelings that you have inside you after multiple suicide attempts when you're scared of even a trip to the grocery store? When you come home, what you're going to be walking into. And that's scary. It's scary. I've lived through it. You know, I have more friends that I get support from and, and different areas now that I get support from. But for those that don't have that support, being scared to leave the house for fear of what you're going to walk into is not something that we should take lightly because if an adult is having those feelings, can you imagine what these kids are going through? I say that because when we first started this journey, my daughter didn't know what was going on. We shield as much as we can from our kids. But the older she got, she's going to be 13 next month. I would say the last 
year and a half-ish, this kid knows the pattern. She can see it before it happens. And when she can see it before it happens and is scared to go to school for fear of what may happen while she's at school, and she also thinks she can prevent it, we, we've got some major challenges that we're not addressing. Now, even as you're talking there, and in, in, we know in childhood development, the concept of parentification, children who take on adult roles earlier in adolescence and even childhood. And we see that a lot in, in probably, you know, in, in, for children of the eighties, right? You know, the latchkey kids and things like that. But we do know that military and veteran children are exposed to a lot more adult concepts, especially during these last 20 years of the global war on terror. Um, but that's a measure of stress on military and veteran kids. And this idea of you willingly accepted the role as caregiver, they found themselves thrust in the role of caregiver that developmentally may not be appropriate for them. Absolutely. And you just said it so true. I actually, I did choose this caregiving journey because my husband was very, very upfront on our first date and telling me that he had PTSD. <laughs> he was in recovery at the time and I walked into it and said, okay, sign me up. I can fix all that. And of course, we know we can't fix all that, um, or at least I do today. I may have been naive and thought I could fix all of it, but there are many moms and dads and spouses that don't walk into caregiving with eyes wide open. They're already in it prior to becoming a caregiver. And then for our kids, you're exactly right. They can't find a different family. They can't go, oh, I want a different mom or dad. This is what they're living in. And when our society and our schools and teachers and administrators at schools don't understand what's going on behind these homes, it makes it really, really difficult for these kids to have that safe place. If home's not safe and then school is scary because they're worried about what's going on at home and our teachers and our administrators don't understand that life, it makes it really challenging. Yeah. And I always find something to advocate for, right? And I think, thankfully, I, the Lord gave me a big mouth and I used it hopefully well and, and not for naught. But I am finding in schools and communities that are not military communities, our schools don't understand what these veteran families are going through. So with my daughter, who does have some higher anxiety and some depression just in general, and then you add on daddy's an inpatient right now after a suicide attempt, they're looking at it as bad behavior at school and not anxiety because we don't know. Our society doesn't know what these veteran families are going through. We just need to fix the problem. Whereas maybe if you were, I don't know, what is it, 50 miles away in Leavenworth, Kansas, right? A military, like the, the schools in Leavenworth, Kansas yes. um, would probably understand that a little bit better because it's a military-centric community. I, and I think this is going back to what you were talking about, your, your advocacy work. Uh, one of the things that I've always valued is your passion and your passion that this wasn't your, this was obviously your personal experience. But then you said, this can't be the only one, and I need to do something more for others. Uh, and that's when you founded an organization in your local community that specifically supported caregivers. What can you tell us about your initial advocacy work, and, and you're still ongoing with caregivers on the home front? Absolutely. So 
again, when I um, was a police officer and had met my husband and was looking for resources in our area to best help me learn how to best take care of my husband with PTSD, how could I be more, I've always said I can make or break a really great therapy day of his if I don't know really how best to support his challenges with PTSD or suicidality, depression, anxiety. We don't know what we don't know. And when I was looking for support, couldn't find anything. I for sure could not find anything locally. So then I had to branch out and go, okay, what's national that could help out? And then I'm like, Sean, if there's nothing in your area, you and if you know you can't be the only one experiencing this, so let's start a support group. So the first thing I did was to start a support group and then took it a little bit further. And when, with the good Lord prompting me one morning as I was getting ready for work, I'm going, you should start a nonprofit. And I'm like, no disrespect, Lord, um, but um, you're crazy. I've never done that. And remember, I'm a police officer. I'm not someone that starts nonprofits. I also knew in my older age that we're supposed to listen to those, those little voices. I remember my husband was still asleep and I gently shook him and said, hey, sweetheart, can we start a nonprofit? I'd really like to do that. And of course, he just wants to sleep and is going, yeah, sure, sure. Go ahead. You, you do whatever you want, hon. And fast forward, though, we started a nonprofit called Caregivers on the Homefront. And one of the things that I wanted to do differently, for one, not recreate the wheel. There are some great wheels out there in this space. And I didn't want to do something that was already happening in the space. But what I did see was a gap, a couple of things. There weren't enough organizations that supported all eras of family members. I didn't want that to be a burden for we're just post 9 11 or, or, or what have you. So, all eras of veteran family members can come and get support from caregivers on the home front. Two, oftentimes, if the veteran isn't ready to get help, they're not ready. But when they're not ready and they don't sign up for services, then the family member is left out in the cold. I wanted to make sure that we didn't need the veteran to sign up. The family member could sign up for free when they wanted to. And then mental health and wellness. We don't do enough for the mental health of our family members to include the kids so I didn't want it to be just about going and getting your nails done or getting a massage. I wanted the support to be sustainable. So if we did, a, we call them restorative weekends. We did a restorative weekend. Nice nails are great. Having a massage is great. I am not knocking anything on self-care. But when I go home, I'm walking into the same thing. And pretty nails aren't going to get me through my husband's suicide attempt. But standing on firm foundation of good mental health, peer support, other people that I can reach out to, that is going to sustain this journey. Not to mention that many of our family members, they have trauma themselves, not situated around their veteran, but we all come from something. And when they're caring for a veteran, they oftentimes get put on the back burner and then their own trauma is never getting that center stage. We wanted to make sure we gave them a place 
that they could do just that. So Caregivers on the Homefront was born. And I think what I've valued is always been the broad applicability. There's no one standard military or veteran spouse, right? You know, there's a wide range of, for example, um, my wife and I have been married over 20 years. Probably of 14 to 16 of those were while I was in the military. And then the rest of them. So she was a military spouse. She understood military culture. That wasn't your case. You weren't a military spouse. You had to learn all of this jargon as a veteran spouse. And caregivers come in forms, as you were talking about, parents or even non-married partners, girlfriends or boyfriends or life partners and things like that. And that's one thing that I've always valued about caregivers in the home front is the only unfortunate qualifying factor is, are you supporting a veteran who has needs? Exactly. And you're exactly right. I saw when I see this divide of post 9-11 and pre 9-11 for one, it, it brings some ill conversations between, you know, the different eras when one era is supported and one isn't. And I always saw that our pre 9-11 family members, caregivers, have been doing this for so long. Gosh, the things that they could teach us. Mm -hmm. and, and I wanted to make sure that, yes, we want to support you, but I think we can learn from you too. I, I've only been doing this for 10 years. And like you said, I, Brian and I weren't together during his time in the military. Probably a good thing. I don't think I would have liked him. But there are, there's that group of family members that have no idea what an MRE is. We have to spell those things out and teach. And then again, our kids and trying to make sure that they are supported and they're around kids like them. My daughter, I can remember um, after my husband had been in a few programs and inpatient care. And of course, due to the nature of inpatient care, kids can't beyond the unit. And, you know, she would see him through the window and say hi or what have you. And then I can remember him being in a program where she could come. We could come in, we could bring dinner in for him. And driving down to, to that location a couple of years ago, I can remember her saying, oh, daddy doesn't have something I can catch. That's why I can go in and see him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, bad mom moment. I, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I wasn't explaining things. She thought that she could not see him because he had a cold. He was contagious, yeah. He was contagious. How their little minds work when we don't give them the information that they need on their age level. But I could have done a better job. And I think we could do a better job, right? So our, our kids are way wiser than I think we believe they are. They see, we know they see things. We need to give them credit where credit's due and open up this conversation of mental health support and what good mental health support looks like. You've got to be grateful of the things that have been given to you. And I am grateful that in my household, mental health, those words, suicidality, depression, anxiety, they're common terms in our household, which has left it open for my daughter to go, mom, I'm not doing well. I think I need to talk to somebody. And normalizing those conversations, just like if she told me she had a tummy ache. I, I think that's very insightful. But again, it's also, you're talking about your family, but you are an advocate 
for more of these conversations, right? More of these type of um, let's pay attention. Yes, we have to pay attention to the service member um, or the veteran, but any one of them, me starting off as the first one will tell you that any amount of success that I have is because of the strong relationship I've had with my partner for, again, over 20 years. Your work has been nationally recognized. And you know what they say, when you're good at something, they give you more of that thing to do. You're also a team member of the nation's leading organization that supports caregivers. Right? You looked around nationally, you found the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, but now you're on the team of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. What can you tell us about the work that they do and what you do with them? I have to say, Senator Elizabeth, whether she knows that she's my mentor or not, is just such a, a gem of a person. And I just only hope that I can emulate some of the great work that she's done over her lifetime. In 2017, when I founded Caregivers on the Home Front, that was, that was a banner year. Founded Caregivers on the Home Front, my husband attempted suicide, and I became an Elizabeth Dole Foundation Caregiver Fellow that year, which was the first really gosh, insight really into this population, this work. And it really gave me my launch pad of using my big mouth for good in advocating for this space. So this January will be two years that I came on board full-time with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, who advocates for the over 5.5 million military and veteran caregivers and 2.3 million hidden helpers, those kids in these caregiving homes, I got to be on staff. And it was really, I can remember becoming a fellow and going, I want to work for them one day. Some of you may be going, well, why are you working for them? You have a nonprofit. You know, why, why did you feel like you had to go to work for them? I love what they stand for. And I felt like with them being, like you said, the preeminent caregiving organization for military and veteran caregivers, I would have a greater stage to have a bigger mouth and advocate even more. At the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, I manage our critical financial assistance program and what I call our financial wellness program for caregivers. Many caregivers have to quit jobs, change their career. You heard that I changed mine. They may quit school. Therefore, they are not paying into retirement. They don't have any work credits through Social Security. And we all know caregiving is going to end. And if it ends tomorrow, are these caregivers going to be financially able to support themselves? And unfortunately, what I'm seeing is no. And after a veteran passes away, there are family members, those caregivers and kids that are living in cars because they're not set up financially able to care for themselves and their kids after a veteran passes away. Or let's just be real, divorce happens, mm -hmm. unsafe situations happen where they may not be a caregiver anymore. So I am very, very passionate on, yes, caregiving is hard. Yes, it may make going back to school tough. It may make working tough, but we can do it. If we are given maybe some flexible hours so we can attend some appointments with our veteran, maybe hybrid work environments. 
remote work environments. We all know that we can do that now. Our veteran and military caregivers need these type of work environments so that they are not on the streets. We're trying to keep our veterans from being on the streets. We need to keep our family members from being on the streets when the veteran is no longer around. Sean, I love every time I talk to you, I have almost a new epiphany, that consideration of the caregiving will not always be this way. Hopefully, in, in some instances, the veteran might get better. Like The need for caregiving may not be as intense in the future as it is now. If the caregiving ends in an unfortunate way. We talk about service members needing to think about what's beyond, beyond. Like when you're in the military, what happens after that? But I think that, and this is something that I'm just coming to the realization now, so many caregivers are so tied into the what's happening today that they don't think about the tomorrow. That statement that you just said is that caregiving will end. Hopefully it ends well when there is a recovery, but there will be a time where I'm no longer a caregiver. What will that mean to me personally? That's part of many caregivers' identity, um, but also financially, housing, stability, relationally. That's a very important conversation to have with caregivers. Absolutely. I will tell you when I ask that question, the looks on these caregivers' faces are ones of, oh my gosh, I didn't think about that. And when I go, if caregiving ends tomorrow, will you be okay? Many of them cannot say that they will be. Now, the great thing about that is we've had many, many caregivers go back to school, start volunteering somewhere, find a job. It could be a part-time job. We just try little things until we can seemingly fit them into our caregiving journey as well. We don't have to go find a job and work 80 hours a week. Five hours a week is more than nothing. And it gives us ways to fit that into our caregiving life. But these caregivers, if they are resilient, we've got to reframe this notion of caregiving becoming our entire identity. It does. A lot of times unconsciously, we just don't realize that, oh my gosh, like I'm Betty, bad person, caregiver, and I, I've got this. I remember that. I remember setting and caregiving and taking it on as my entire identity. It was after I left the police department. My husband was still having challenges. He still is having some challenges with suicidality, but he was having some challenges. And so then I'm, by gosh, I'm going to caregive and I'm going to caregive to my 150% effort that I can caregive for. But boy, that's not leaving me much time to take care of me and what finds me joy. And when you go and ask caregivers, what do you like to do? And they can't answer you. We've got some bigger challenges here. And with this being Suicide Prevention Month, we cannot forget that in this space, it is not only are veterans dying by suicide, it is these family members. It's these kids that are dying by suicide. And in a study that was put out a couple of years ago, 23.6% of spouses who became a caregiver became suicidal. That's a huge number, 23.6%. So when I talk about holistically taking care of the entire veteran family unit. We've got to do a better job of that. 
No, I, I absolutely agree. I, I get the sense that you, if you've not been in the right places, you find yourself in the right places, you get to the right places. But I definitely think that your experiences, your voice is at the right place. And I'm sure that your colleagues there at the Elizabeth Dole Foundation believe that as well. So if people wanted to find out more about EDF, maybe learn a little bit more about the work that you're doing, how can they do that? Absolutely. Go to ElizabethDoleFoundation.org. You can also find us on all the social media. Reach out to us. We've got a great group of people that are doing some great work in the mental health space, advocating at the DA for better benefits around caregiving. We've got a great resource navigator. You can find all that online on our website. We want to be there for you in your time of need. Again, the Critical Financial Assistance Program is there, and that's for caregivers to apply for. We don't need the veteran to apply. This is for you. Our, a lot of our caregivers don't have dental insurance. A lot of the kids don't. We see a huge need for dental care. If you're finding yourself in that predicament, reach out to us. Apply to the Hope Fund. I think that's amazing. As always, I appreciate our time together. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Dwayne, for having me. Y'all keep fighting the good fight. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. Also, as another reminder, there are resources available for those that are struggling and those who are struggling to support them. If you or someone you care about is in distress, please reach out to 988 and press 1 to get to the Veteran Crisis Line or visit VeteranCrisisLine.net to text or chat. As you can probably tell, I've had several conversations with Sean and am a staunch advocate of her advocacy for military families and suicide prevention. There was a lot to that conversation, and when I have had previous conversations with Sean, I found it valuable to go back and listen to them again which is why we record these conversations, so you can do exactly that. I don't want to spend too much time going back over what we talked about, but I keep going back to the idea of what support is there for the family member after a veteran survives a suicide attempt. This is one aspect of postvention, support after an attempt or loss to suicide, that we don't consider often enough, in my opinion, and Sean's as well. Think about your daily life. Going to work, whether it's upstairs, downstairs, or across town, going to the store, going to have coffee with a friend, and then overlay that with anxiety and concern about someone you care about, not sure if you're able to leave them alone or, if you do, what you might return to when you come back. And not just once, but in an ongoing basis, for months or even years. Even after a period of recovery and relative stability, you're still on edge. Is it going to suddenly happen again? What if I say or do the wrong thing, or we happen to pick the wrong episode of a favorite show on the wrong day? This is the reality for many of the family members of service members and veterans who are struggling with psychological health and wellness concerns. And whenever I talk about that aspect of support within suicide prevention programs, I always credit Sean for giving me the insight into that aspect of this problem. And there's so much more insight. So again, go back and listen to the episode again if you'd like and reach out to the Elizabeth Dole Foundation and Sean in particular if you want to learn more about how to support those who support our service members and veterans. So I hope you appreciated my conversation with Sean. If you did, we would appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at 
We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's PsychArmor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the PsychArmor course VA Save, Preventing Caregiver Suicide. After taking this course, you will develop an understanding of the increased risk for suicide that we see in military and veteran caregivers, identify the signs of an at-risk veteran caregiver, and know the steps you can take to help a veteran caregiver. You can find a link to the course in our show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the Psychummer website, psychummer.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with Psychummer on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by Psycharmor. Much appreciation to the team at Psycharmor that makes the show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator. Support and transcripts by Emma Atheroff. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.